want to jump in because I think God has a fantastic word for us today. So open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. We're covering four verses. So Acts chapter 8, um, verse 4 through 8 is what we're going to look at right now. And like we said and like we just saw a minute ago, like this is the beginning of the New Testament church. Like things just got real. Things got really real in this place. And we're going to walk through four verses that I, I've, been, I've been celebrating and this morning was studying deeply, just going, all right, God, what do you have for us and for Church Project? And I think these four verses are going to excite you as we go through it. So um, grab your Bible, open it up. It's a blue Bible. If you don't have one, you can open it up to page 633, Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. I'll read that and then we'll go through and kind of pick it apart a little bit. In verse 4, it says this, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Can't you imagine that there were great joy in that city? Can't you imagine one of your friends, you're you're walking with this friend who has a demon and and something happens in this point. Like he shows up and the spirit starts moving. Wouldn't you celebrate in that moment? Like great joy was in that city. I want to look at verses 4 and 5 together as we talk about this. So those who were scattered, those are the Christians that were scattered, preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city, and I want to let you know, full disclosure, this is one of those portions in Scripture where you can, you can have um, what, is it, what is called a, a difference in Scripture. Because NIV says a city, and so there's a variation. If you look in ESV, it says the city. So NIV is more like a city in this area or this region. And Elijah, I think you have a map, right? If you want to put up the map here. Uh, so, so Samaria, this region, is, is kind of what NIV is, seeing, is saying. And if you read ESV, it says a particular city. And so there's different scholars that say different places of where this city may have been, if it was an actual city or, or a city at large. But can you put that map back up, Elijah? I, I want to point this out, and you guys might know this, but just for the sake of, of, of really giving us a scenario of what we're talking about. You see Jerusalem? And you see how far away Samaria is, according to that cute little thing on the bottom right there? Like, we're, I mean, we're like 30 miles away, right? And when, we, and when we look at this whole region right here, this is pretty much a majority of where Jesus spent his life. His entire career, everything that he walked and talked about was this region. So do the math. Like, how, how far is that? Is that, is that even from here to, to Denver? I mean, well, Colorado Springs maybe? Like, what... what What's the area geographically that we're talking about right now? Jesus has been living in this part of the world right now. But as we get into the scripture, the the apostles are staying in Jerusalem, and the church at large starts spreading. They're going up to Samaria. They're going beyond. It starts spreading to the point where it reaches Greeley, Colorado. Thank God, right? Like the, so I want, I want to just really put into context that everything that we've been seeing and reading about already in Acts has happened so close, like right here in this small area, but we're going to start seeing this thing go global, international. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? I like cool things like that. You can take that down. So um, 
What happens is, in verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. The Greek-speaking Hellenistic Jews were the first evangelists. These are, these are the people that head out and they start taking the message of the Messiah beyond Jerusalem and into the areas that, that we're going to continue to read about in the book of Acts. And the Sumerians and the Hellenistic Jews were at odds. So what's strange about this is that the people that were at odds, one party goes up to the next party and brings an incredible message. But they're at odds. Ordway, where I grew up. Raise your hand if you know what Ordway is. Oh, yeah, yeah, Ordway. Then you would agree with me that Fowler is our enemies. <laughs> oh, Fowler Grizzlies. They kicked us in every sport possible, except wrestling. Well, no, they kicked us in that too. Not me, though. I beat everyone from Fowler. Yay, me! No. <laughs> so, <laughs> hey, so, so I'm kind of putting it in context a little bit, right? Like, however... They were at odds, but it would be like someone from Ordway going to Fowler. Not, not quite, but you get the point, right? They, but they had a common belief that there was a Savior coming. They had a common belief that there was a Savior coming, like what was spoken of by the prophet Moses in, in, in Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19. So you can, you can look up on your own time, Deuteronomy 18, chapter 18, verses 15 through 19. They had something in common. This was this prophet and a belief that a Messiah was coming for them. It was already being taught that Jesus was the Savior. And so though Ordway went to Fowler, the message was received. Though that they were at odds already, the message was received because though they may not be speaking the, the same language or from the same culture, they had one thing in common. It was a belief that a Savior was coming and that they all needed a Savior. So when this message starts going up and this word of Jesus starts spreading, it's received because their hearts are already prepared. They're already looking for a Savior. And even though they're, the people they're at odds with are coming up with the message the Spirit was leaping in them. Now that's got to be an act of God. That's got to be a movement of the Holy Spirit. Because if someone from Fowler came to Ordway with good news, the first thing I want to do is kick them out of Ordway, right? And so it's got to be an act of God that my enemy, if you would, is coming with this message that we all begin to rally around. You get it? You see how awesome that this is, what's happening right here? Remember back in, in Acts 6, Remember what we've gone through, and you can, you can begin to study it and read it. Go back today if you, if you don't remember. But, it, but in Acts chapter 6, the professionals, the apostles, picked seven men to feed the widows and to administer the daily funds so that they, the professionals, the apostles, could um, not neglect the, the work of the Lord, the word of the Lord. So what happened right here, the pros are now staying behind. So fast forward to our little portion of Scripture. The pros are now staying behind, as it says, the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but who went beyond? The people that, that were, were given the task to feed the widows and to administer the daily funds and do the task of the church. And I think it is just the way that God works that the pros, the apostles, are staying in Jerusalem. And the way that this message spreads is by the common folk man. Going and taking the message. And by the way, today, I'm so glad that that's the case because I'm just not smart enough, good enough, or capable enough to spread the word of God in Greeley, Colorado. 
Like, if it were up to me, well, number one, you'd have to buy me an unlimited bus pass because I'd be all over the place. Or maybe a Segway. That would be a lot of fun, going to Greeley and Segway. I don't have the capacity. That's why the church at large, everywhere that we go, we, including myself, are common folk, men and women, that are taking this godly message wherever we go. It's what God designed. It's how he designed the church. And I say thank God for that, that you use the average man, woman, and child to extend this love message beyond Jerusalem to the point where we get to be part of this. Isn't this cool? All right, let's go. Uh, Verse 5, Philip went down to a city. Philip, by the way, if you want to continue and go like through a character study of Philip, you'll have a lot of fun doing that. This is the Philip that later on, well, earlier, he grew past his role of administrator, right? In, ver- in, in chapter 6, the men picked him. Philip's was, Philip was one of the seven men that the apostles picked to administer. He's gone way beyond administering now, right? Like, he, he blew past that job title. He said, here's what it means to perform as an administrator, and he doubled down. He goes, I'm not just an administrator, man. I'm a disciple. Like, I'm going to go and make. And so this is the Philip that blew past that administrator role, Later, you read about him in Samaria and, and Gaza, and later in Caesarea. I, I butcher these names, but you can, you can do a whole study of this man, Philip, how God used him. And one of the coolest things for me is that later on you read that he had four daughters, and they were all uh, prophetic. They all had prophetic gifts. I have two daughters, and that's awesome. I'm like, Philip, good job. Number one, you raised four daughters. Good job. And they had prophetic gifts. Like, they got it. They got it. It's a heritage that's passed down, and I love that. Here's a side thought. As we kind of zoom out of this passage right now, here's a side thought. Tension of suffering and completion. The tension of those brought together. Like the church to this point, suffering. There's tension in that, but you begin to see completion through the suffering. We saw The martyr just happened just a few verses, the passage before last week, the tension of suffering, right? But we're now beginning to see the completion and the answer. And it's it's cool to me to think, and it it, and it really stinks for me to think this as well, that this is how God has always worked. Through our suffering, He is made known. Through His suffering, the world is given a Savior. Through suffering, through pain, we're made better. It doesn't make the moment any better. In fact, it still stinks when we're suffering and we're going through hard things and we don't understand it. But I love the tension of suffering and completion. We're seeing it right now in the New Testament church. The martyr just happened. Philip's getting kicked out. People are getting scattered. The tension of suffering. And we begin to see the completion of what God has built this church. And I say amen to that. So can you say amen to your suffering today? And, and at the same time, go, God, it stinks. But amen. Uh, let's go to verse uh, 6 here. Oh. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, Impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Look at verse 6 here. The art of what we say and do. Philip said and did. In verse 6, when the crowds heard, that means Philip had to speak, right? 
When the crowds heard Philip, they saw the signs he performed. The art of what we say and do. Philip had much to say, and he had much signs to show. Like, this wasn't something he conjured up at the last minute, words to speak of Jesus and ways to show it in his life. Like, this is a deep-rooted relationship. So when the crowds were there, he knew what to say, and he knew what to do. And beyond that, we already know that the book of Acts is a movement of the Holy Spirit. So Philip shows up knowing what to say and knowing what to do, but the Holy Spirit shows up even more and gives him even more words to say and signs and wonders to do. But it wasn't because Philip was just sitting down and doing nothing. No, he had something to say and he had something he wanted to do isn't that cool christianity began in this manner common humans interacting with jesus falling in love with the relationship and then they have much to say about this person they're falling in love with and their actions they have much to do because of this love relationship with jesus So our prayer should be something like this. God, I pray you give me much to say and much to show in our own lives. I pray I can master. I pray that I can create my craft. I pray that I can change my industry wherever I'm at. I pray that my career will blossom and bloom and I just won't sit back. Like I have a relationship with God of the universe. I have much to say. And because I have much to say about that relationship, I have much to do everywhere that I go. I strive to show people the love of God, even by my great accomplishments. Church, we don't sit back. We create. We change industries, we design, we formulate, we lead the way. God's given us much to talk about. Now let's show the world at large that we serve a living king. Amen to that. Think what happens if each and every one of us is creating, instigating, and loving, and showing God the most that we can through all of our actions. Now I'm going to embarrass you, but I really don't care. So Brittany and Sheeta, would you please come up here? Uh Uh-oh. Um, so Brittany, if you know her, you absolutely love her. And during the school year, um, she, she has a lot of tension because she's a wonderful, wonderful school teacher that cares maybe too much for all the kids in her class. Probably not. But <laughs> she cares a whole lot because she's mastering her craft. Like she's changing the industry of what it looks like to be a teacher. And not only that, if, if you know her and you know much of her, she's very good at what she does. God continues to elevate you, and it's, it's exciting to see, but she doesn't sit on that. Like, she spent the last year going back to school to get her master's, and she's continuing to do so on the side while being a, a wife to Jeremy, which is a full-time deal, and being a school teacher and going back and getting the master's because she's an industry changer. She's a creator. She's not just sitting back. Like, she is absolutely invested in what it means to be a teacher and to love the students and love the administrators and to love everyone around her and to show uh, the love of God through everything that you do. Brittany, thank you for not sitting back. Thank you for showing us what it means to come alive showing us what it means to just change the world and show the love of God through all of your actions. And so here's, here's what I want to do. Um, if you're a school teacher or an administrator, because I was thinking of Weston in this deal too, like, would you please stand up? 
How many do we have here? One, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, a couple didn't show up. Wow, okay. I was going through my numbers going, okay, where are we at? I don't care what you guys want to do, but you're coming up here now too as well. Um, get up here. I'll, I'll, where's, yeah, Weston. Yeah, I want to I throw um, Kristen here as well because she is a coach and with students, and I don't care. You get up here too. I love having this microphone. Uh, I just feel like this is a very fitting time for our church to honor our school teachers, our, our administrators, our, our coaches. Um, we could do this in so many different realms. Like next week, we could call up our, our moms and dads, and I mean, we could, we could do this all over the place. So don't feel neglected if we, if we don't get to you eventually. But today, I want to thank Brittany personally. There's a $10 gift card from Church Project. And what we want you to do is we want you to take that on your first day of school. And Jared Nelson said it's a buy one, get one free Frappuccino or something, whatever. Whatever that is. Like, <laughs> it's, 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 it's got a lot of sugar, but we want you guys to know that the church is absolutely behind you. And so if you were given one of those cards, come up here as well. We're going to give you a, this little gift. And I mean, it's little, but just know on your first day of school, when you go, like this church is behind you, we're praying for you, we're, we're so thankful for what you do in changing the lives of our students and the schools and really our country. And so I'm going to ask, um, when you give the card to the person you're going to give them to, would, would you take them along the edge over here, and then I'm going to have every single person in this room surround you, and would you pray for this, this school teacher, administrator, coach, whatever. So if you, grab, if you hand them a card, take them away right here, okay? <laughs> Christina, can you go with Brittany? And then the rest of the church, we're going to spend time surrounding. Just go to someone near you. Some people go back, and we're going to spend a couple minutes just praying that that this would be an incredible year. So everyone stand up. Elijah, you want to put a little bit of music on? I'll call us back together when we're done. Why don't you guys spread out? A few of you head over there.
excuse my rudeness. Father God, I pray for our, stud- our, our teachers, our administrators, the faculty. I pray that, that this year is a year of victory for them. I pray that God, when, when they feel like quitting, you would empower them. God, I, I pray that as they come home exhausted, you restore their energy. And I pray that they realize it's not you, but it, it's not them, but it's you moving through them. So equip them to be the men and women to represent you everywhere they go this year. We thank you so much for bringing them to Greeley, Colorado. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen, church. We can move back to our seats. Thank you guys very much for that. knew it. As soon as we broke up, Ryan and Jack started picking on each other. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to move through here. Um, verse 7. For with shrieks impure spirits came out many and many who were paralyzed and, and lame. The lame were healed. In verse 7, there's a deep, deep truth that I think will change the way we communicate with people and the way we live our lives when we realize something. Everyone is battling something. Everyone is battling something. And this is a good thing to remember as a human. As we interact any other human wherever we go, it is so key to remember, especially as Christians, that everyone is battling something. Battling of confidence. Battling a battle of clarity. A battle of addiction. A battle of belief. A battle of trust, a battle of past hurts, a, ba- a battle of, well, trust. <laughs> I must have really believed it. I put it in my nose twice. <laughs> a battle of lust. Whether the battle is outward or invisible or just inward, we are all battling something. And this is a very good thing to remember. Don't believe me? You don't believe me that everyone is, is battling something in their life? Then why is it when you're out to eat, you turn to your spouse, or you run to the, to the bathroom if you're not with the spouse, and you look in the mirror to see if you have something in your teeth? Like, that proves we're all battling something. Like, we're, we're self-conscious or something at that moment. Like, we're, we're always thinking and wondering, what are other people thinking about this? What am I doing? And we're all battling something in our life because we care about what others think. Something in our teeth might mean our educational pursuit was useless. They might think I'm ridiculous if I have something in my teeth. Or that my career is just not as good as it was because I have something in my teeth. Like, it just doesn't make sense that something in our teeth can mean so much to us, except we're battling something personally. Like, we're, we're trying to overcome something in our own life as well. So next time you see me and I have something in my teeth, don't tell me. (laughs) 
We'd be good to remember that everyone we come in contact with is in some sort of battle, including ourselves. And so when we look in verse 7, every single person that, that is talked about in this scripture, they're, they're battling something right here. Philip shows up, the Holy Spirit shows up, and they begin to be a solution to some of the things, the most pressing things in their lives and what they're battling right now. And so when you come up and the Holy Spirit begins to conquer those things that you're battling, look what happens in verse 8. Great joy and celebration happens. And this is, a, this is amongst the people that are together in one place. And you think, so if, so if they knew our battle, would, would they attack you so much? If they knew what you were going through, would they attack you so much? Would they have a little more sympathy? And we have to think the same thing with, with our coworkers and the people that we come in contact with. If you knew their battle, would you attack them so much? Would things be so important that just aren't that important when you realized what's going on in their life? If you only knew the coworker was going through a nasty divorce, would you care a little less about work politics? If you only knew that that arrogant person was feeling so insecure, would you be less offended? People often come to me for counseling. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I'm not a licensed counselor. I have a lot of fun with this. Or, or, or to complain to me about church project or God, because I guess I represent God or something. Or I get it. The best I can do is give them biblical coaching. That's, that's the best that I can do. And even in that, the best I can do is, is have patience to hear what they're actually saying. I've, I've learned that through the years as well, to have patience enough to learn what they're saying. Oh, so you're not saying I'm the worst pastor or possibly human being in the whole world in this moment. You're, you're not saying that. Well, you might be. I'm sorry if you feel that way. Maybe we should get a coffee. But you're probably not saying that. What you're saying is that your teenage child is making horrible decisions and you're not sure what to do and you're feeling insecure as a parent. But am I patient enough to sit and to wait for that? Everyone is battling something. Grandpa gave me great advice years ago and it was this. Remember this advice? You said refuse to be offended. Refuse to be offended. We represent, we represent a loving God, God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. From the beginning, we won, so smile. Like from the beginning, our deepest battles, Jesus has already conquered. Like from the beginning, we are already conquerors. So people refuse to be offended. Sit patiently with people as you begin to hear the pain and the hurts. And when that person cuts you off in traffic, don't do like what I do nine out of ten times and try to cut them off again. It gives me great joy to cut them off again. I celebrate cutting them off again. Why do I cut them off again? I don't know. Pray for me. I am I'm messed up. But it's good to remember that everyone is struggling with something. Do you think this is what Jesus did better than anyone? I think this is what Jesus did better than anyone. He listened. He understood the situation before he became the solution. He understood the situation before he became the solution. Look, the, the woman at the well in John 4, it, it wasn't when he was addressing her. It wasn't, hey, you have five husbands and a boyfriend problem. 
Jesus knew that. It wasn't a you have five husbands and a boyfriend problem that Jesus was addressing to the woman at the well. It wasn't that problem. And if it was, he would have said, repent, you sinner. Go away. Stop that mess. It wasn't that problem. No, Jesus knew it was a lordship problem. It was a lordship problem. And she needed a true savior to satisfy her because obviously men weren't satisfying her. And if we have the wisdom of Jesus in these situations to understand that everyone is battling something in their life and we have the patience enough to sit with them long enough, we know that it's going to come down to a lordship issue. Without a savior, every battle is a big deal. And so the people especially that don't have a savior, Lord Jesus Christ in their life, every battle is a big deal. It's like trying to satisfy an unquenchable thirst. Church, are you getting this? Verse 8, so there was great joy in that city. There was great joy when the lame walk, it's time to dance. Wouldn't you agree? When the lame walk, it's time to dance. When the demon possessed or released, let's make popcorn. I really like popcorn. When the blind finally see, let's have a pool party, even if it's raining. Like, because the blind are seeing now, it's worth coming together and celebrating. When marriages are mended, let's give a fantastic toast. When victory and rest come, let's stand up and scream. Let's be a little less dignified. Let's lose our minds a little bit. Let's celebrate. Like the Dallas Cowboys just won the Super Bowl, Carl. Where's Carl? You better be in here. Yeah! I threw that punch in, bro. Like, let's celebrate. We have so much to celebrate for. Verse 8 gives us even a model of how to celebrate. So there was great joy in that city. So let's bring great joy to Greeley. When death is defeated, sing. Amen? Amen? Oh, my goodness. Christ the Lord is risen today, hallelujah. Man, or victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. I know, we'll keep going. That's Jeremy's job, not mine, man. I'm going to stop right there. Actually, I'm not. Or I am a child of God, I am a chosen one, I have the power of God and I am strong. Wrong, Wrong key, huh? And no one's saying with me, bro. I figured you at least would say it. That's okay. <laughs> Why do we sing? Why do we celebrate? Because our battles have been overcome. The things that we are struggling with have been overcome. It brings great joy to the city. By the way, the city is our heart and our mind. Let's start right there. When we wake up and there's great joy in our heart and our mind because of a relationship, we have much to say and much to do. Church, oh no, watch out for the fall. Oh no for what God is doing in Church Project because he's awakening something in each and every one of us that corporately is going to shake and rot greatly. Oh no, you might need to come early for a seat. Oh, poor you. Okay. (laughs) What I would like to do is ask you to just close your Bibles and reflect on this because God's moving and are you going to let him move? Like he's loving. He's saying whatever battle you're struggling with, I've already overcome that. I've seriously already overcome that. So I don't care if this is your umpteenth time to repeat this offense. I've already overcome that. 
that battle that you're going through right now, that thing, that thing that you hope no one finds out about, that insecurity, that lust, that whatever it may be, whatever you're going through right now, that fear of the unknown of what the future holds, like God has used in through all time and space, this tension of suffering and completion. And don't you think if he can do it for the universe at large, he's going to do it for you? That's the God that I serve. That's a loving God that cares intimately about each and every one of us. He knows your situation. You can cry out to him. You can say, God, this stinks. I don't understand it. I don't like this. And I don't want this. But I trust you. I know that you're going to use this to bring me to completion, my family to completion, my city to completion, my world to completion. This is how you move. And so when I'm at my weakest, and when I don't know what to do, I can cry out, victory in Jesus. Because I'm a child of God. 